Welcome to the 28th episode of the No Degree Podcast. This is your host, Janet Iqbal, and today's guest is Trent Bray. He is the founder of Hustle Energy and host of the Hustle the Day Podcast. He helps entrepreneurs start their side hustle and also flips homes on the side. He tried several times to finish college, but things always got in the way. That never stopped him from doing what he wanted. He got to start building websites in high school. He's always been involved with cars in some way, as that is a passion of his. Learn how Trent navigated through the ups and downs to get to where he is today. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show isn't possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, Trent, what do you do? Can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Hey, first of all, thanks for uh, having me on here. I really appreciate that. My name's Trent. I am in Salt Lake City, Utah. I flip houses, but I also have an entrepreneurship brand with a focused product that's in production. That's kind of what I'm more passionate about. But, you know, I also do the the real estate there to help pay the bills. Yeah, no, you got to do what you got to do. So let's kind of take it back. What do you want to be in high school? A great question. It was a number of different things. If you take it a little bit back from high school into junior high, at the time, I was going to be a professional race car driver. Like That was legitimately my path. I was doing go-kart racing at the time. And I ended up getting involved in this. And I did pretty good. I wasn't fantastic or anything, but went to a couple of different schools and instantly like it just all started clicking for me and it was going really well. This class of go-karts that I was racing in that the engines are sealed. So like nobody can mess with them unless you know how to cheat. And <laughs> I never did that. I never cheated or anything like that. And it got down to the last race of the year and I was consistently top five, but it got down to the last race of the year. And they're like, you can do whatever you want to the car. Like, we'll let you modify it, do whatever you want to do. So all I did is I changed the restrictor plate and put, you know, like synthetic oil and race gas in there and tuned it a little bit to that. And it was like, I was finally on the same power level as everybody else. I went from like 22nd to fifth in one lap. Like it was just ridiculous. I was just on fire. And then I ended up having some problems, went off the track and whatnot, but I still ended up in top five again. But it was just like, this is something I love to do. I'm super passionate about it. And then unfortunately, life happens and my support went away. My parents ended up getting divorced and my dad was really pushing that. He went off on his own path. And so I was like, all right, well, that's not for me. But both my parents were entrepreneurs. It's like, I'm going to start a business. All throughout high school, it's like, I'm going to just be a business owner. I don't need education. I don't need any of this. I'm just going to work on my business, which I started doing web design at 14. Parlayed that into vending machines. Throughout high school, I had an automotive parts business. It's just always been something I've wanted to do is just have a business. That's the path I was going to have. You know, I used to have a vending machine business. Cool. Really? Except it was ATMs. So I just dispensed money instead of cookies and stuff. But it, the concept is very similar, right? You put it in a plate, you do the stuff. So how'd you get involved into... Let's explore that a little bit. How'd you get involved into vending machine? So that kind of fell into my lap, honestly. It was the building that my mom was renting space out for her business. They had a couple of vending machines and the owner was blind. So he had somebody help him 
fill the vending machines. And I, I think it was his wife, if I remember correctly, and his wife got sick. And so he's like, I can't, I can't do it physically myself and my wife can't help me. So I need to be able to just sell these off. And fortunately I was able to be in the right place at the right time and pick up these vending machines for close to market value. I mean, they were probably discounts slightly, but it was a fun experience. And, you know, I kept them probably about five years and I enjoyed it. I wanted to expand it at one point and I never really got around to it because my story, I go back to this idea that I never stayed consistent with something. I had the shiny object syndrome. It's like, oh, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on this and never stuck to one thing. And I've realized how detrimental that was to me now. But the time was like, ah, I'm just going to work on this now. How'd you get involved into web design? I ended up just was fascinated by websites in general. You know, I had a computer, but I didn't have other resources. Like there was no YouTube in at this time. There was no online courses, no Udemy, none of the, those things that you have now as options. And I didn't have a car, so I couldn't drive down to Barnes and Noble to pick up a book on web design or anything. So it was just out of, I guess, boredom and fascination. So I go to a website, right click, view source code, and I'd sit there and just reverse engineer it. And so it's like, okay, the start of it and this tag at the end of it. And then I just pull out notepad and sit there and type things in and kind of figure out, oh, okay, if I change this, the whole thing crashes. Oh, if I change this, it changes the color of the text. And I just eventually I'd find like web monkey. I could, that would give me the hex code for the colors. Like that was my biggest resource was, oh, this tells me how to do the colors. But uh, it was just something I enjoyed to do, something I was fascinated with. And once I figured it out, it's like, oh, friends and family want to be involved in, in it. Like, you know, they want their personal websites, they want their business websites. And then it, expand to you know companies within the community that wanted websites which pretty fun cool cool what were some of the first websites you built for people so obviously i went to my passion of cars and so i like create car websites that was for me to play around with but i actually did some websites for like a computer repair shop i remember there was a group of kids who wanted to be professional skateboarders and like you know create a website for them to kind of put their name out there. And there was like, uh, I want to say it was like an ice cream shop. That was one of the first people that you know, I created a website. It was fun. It was new and exciting at the times. And you know what? Websites have changed significantly since then. But uh, at the time, it was pretty basic, but it got the job done. So this was what? You were 14 when you started? When did you start getting serious with like, I can do more than just change colors? <laughs> So yeah, I was, it was, I mean, it all evolved pretty rapidly. Um, I was still 14 when I started getting paying clients. I don't remember the exact time frame, but I remember it's like, all right, I'm doing pretty good at this. I'm designing business cards now for myself and printing them off my inkjet printer. Cause that's, you know, what you did. Um, but it was something that went pretty quickly in terms of okay, I've figured out this source code to let's start making some money with this. Okay, nice, nice. Why'd you end up sort of moving away from that? Or what was the next step? I think I honestly just, like I said, kind of got that shiny object syndrome. I So a lot of the times I am, when I start a business at this point, 
in my life, it was to get a car because I just love cars. Cars are my passion. And it's like, all right, I want this car or I want this part for my car. And so I need to work X amount of hours, get this many clients, and then I can accomplish that. So it's like, all right, why don't I try and combine the passions? Websites are fun, but I ended up starting an automotive parts business. Because it's like, why not get paid to do what I love and get discounts on the parts that I want anyway, was just kind of a transition away from that. It's like, all right, well, I'm going to work on the thing that I love. And it wasn't nearly as successful, which was unfortunate. But it was, again, I was treating it like it was fun, not necessarily a business, which looking back was the problem. So that you feel like that was the main problem that you kind of just went in like, I want to have fun and sort of forgot about the business aspect or push it aside? Yeah, as much as it's fun for me to be involved in business, I mean, you still have to think about the business side of it. It's not just, hey, I signed up this distributor and now I can get a great deal on this part. Let's just buy the part, put it on my car, and then... I'll just see if somebody buys it later. You know, I didn't do the the advertising, the you know, the bare minimum that I needed to do. It was just more like, oh, sweet, I can get this now for me. Yeah. How long did you do that business for? It wasn't very long. It was probably only about a year before I realized, well, I'm not making any money at this. Let's move on to something else. And what was that something else? That's a good question because I, there was a time there where it's like, I just kind of coasted. I didn't really put a lot of effort into it. I still had the vending machines at this point, and that was helping provide a little supplemental income. But there was a point in time where it's like, I just want to be a teenager. I just want to, you know, I had a cool car at the time. It's like, I've got it made, you know, I'm just going to... Wait, how old were you when this, when was the auto parts? This was... Uh, probably 16, 17. Okay, so you're still not into... Uh, yeah, okay. You're still doing things for a teenager. Yeah. How much were you making off the vending machine, if you don't mind me asking? Um, it wasn't a significant amount, uh, a couple hundred dollars a month. I mean, it was... I mean, for a teenager that, back then, it's a lot, too. Oh, yeah. It was great. But yeah, it was it was definitely more than just gas money. You know, it was... It was cool kid money. Yeah, exactly. From there, I, I think I just kind of coasted for a little while. I ended up shortly after high school. I realized, you know what, I'm not doing very well with my business ideas as of late. So I ended up picking up a job, ended up going working at Best Buy. And I was like, all right, this is my career path. You know, I can make this work. I don't need a college degree to become a store manager, which is, you know, a six figure job. And it was very quickly apparent to me that as soon as I got to like a supervisor, which happened fairly quick, it was like, you could have record sales for 18 months and you have one bad month and your job's on the line. It's just not the environment for me. It's like, all right, well, I need to get back to it. And from there, I went to some property management and, you know, it was working for somebody else, but it provided a lot of downtime where I could work on some of my own ideas. Okay, nice. So what were some of the ideas that you started working on? For a while, I was into photography, and I know I feel like I'm talking this story back. It's like, man, you did a lot, man, and now you're only 18, <laughs> and so we're still no, but it's cool. Yeah, so I did photography for a little while. You know, I did weddings and uh, portraits and whatnot, and I came back to cars again. I was like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something with cars, and this was took a long time to get through. This I started working at a company, 
that was automotive based and start, you know, small there doing inventory management is what I started at. And then by the end, before I left, I was basically second in command at the company. It was a fairly small company, but it still outlasted a lot of people there and tried to prove my worth. But I was probably there for about five years. And during this time, I'm trying some online things. This was early days of YouTube. You know, I tried some things out there, you know, tried to come up with some some things that stuck there. Never did, but was doing photography on the side. And eventually, while I was working at this company, started doing more video production. I started doing more and more video. And I'm like, this is a lot of fun. I really enjoy this. And at the end of working for this automotive company, I ended up partnering with somebody on a video production company. That was a learning experience and there's good and bad to it, but it helped me realize what I was comfortable with, what I wasn't comfortable with. The hours between 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. are kind of sacred to me because I've got family obligations. I've got three young kids. It's like I want to make sure I always craft those hours that I can have time to spend with the family. You know, it wasn't always that way, but my wife helped me realize, you know, I need to be focused on them as well. And that kind of creates some friction with that business partner. And that was five date was like his time to get stuff done. Like <laughs> it was it was an interesting relationship. But so I ended up leaving that and ended up again working some odd jobs, did some car sales for a little while. Again, each time I have a regular job, it's like this is just not my path. I don't enjoy this. I don't have fun with this. I need to do my own thing. And that kind of led to the real estate. And then also what I'm truly passionate about is entrepreneurship in general. When did you decide to go into real estate and why? It was happenstance thing in a way. So my mom was involved in real estate. You know, I talked about how she was an entrepreneur and she got involved in house flipping. And she did a significant amount of house flipping back when the economy was really great. 2006, she did a lot of house flipping in a very specific area. And the inventory just isn't like that anymore. You can't stick to a 10 block radius and at least in, you know, the Salt Lake City area and make a living. She had talked about, Hey, I want to get back into house flipping, but I don't know the areas anymore. I don't know exactly what I should be doing because I can't. My money's just sitting there. Can you help me figure this out a little bit? And, you know, I'll help fund some of the houses so that we can, so you can eventually get to the point where you can do this by yourself. It honestly wasn't something I was super passionate about, but like, yeah, I'll help out. And it became a full-time thing. It was, you know, I'm not very handy, but it became a, you've got to figure this out. If you want to make any money, like you need to be in there. You need to be swinging hammers. You need to be doing this stuff. When I worked on things with my own house, I have a budget of $50. If I screw this up, it's a $350 fix. I can't afford to break this, you know, but when it was budget of $10,000 and I screw up this $200 thing, it's money, but at the same time, it wasn't going to break the bank. So it allowed me the flexibility to learn some of these things and become more handy, which has been nice. But 
it turns out I could do a lot of those things. I was just too scared of messing up budget that I didn't ever try them. So, you know, I've since been able to accomplish a lot more in terms of laying tile, framing walls and hanging drywall and all these things that I would have never attempted before. So how'd you sort of learn the things and how long ago? So right now we're in 2020. How long ago did you start flipping houses? It was a little over three years ago. It was beginning of 2017. It's been a good experience, but some of it was just learning on the go. It's like, okay, hanging drywall. It's like, you could figure this out. You just kind of set it up there, make sure you get the right screws, line it up on the studs. And some things ended up coming from YouTube, honestly, where it was like, all right. And then other things were from learning from other people. Eventually, we hired some people to work. They were very helpful to okay, you're really screwing this up. You know, they just sit there and watch from the other side of the room and they're like, no, he's doing it wrong, doing it wrong. Here, let me let me help you with that. Uh, fortunately, had some people to help with that, but a lot of it was just trying to figure it out on my own. And if I mess something up, it's like, all right, let's go to YouTube and see if see where I messed this up at. House flipping is like a very, it's one of those like sexy things, right? Online, you go like, ah, flip houses, like learn how to become a millionaire. What are some misconceptions about house flipping? Because obviously they make it seem like it's so easy and there's a lot of work. Just like I said, yes, the $10,000 budget isn't too bad, but if you get a bad contractor, right, that can easily set things back. Yeah, so it's definitely not as glamorous as TV makes it out to be. You see some of these TV shows where they flip houses and they're like, oh, we're going to redo the kitchen for $2,000. No, you aren't. Not unless you're getting paid by the people who are you're showing their products. So it's definitely a lot more expensive than you think. The margins are super thin. You know, there's obviously every market's different, but in general, the margins are, I know I've talked to a lot of real estate investors over the year. The margins are a lot thinner than you typically expect. And the way to really make money in real estate investment is to be the money guy. That's where you can make 12, 15% off your investment. Whereas if I'm, all in on this house, I might make 2% and be super happy that I didn't lose money. There's been a couple problem houses where there has been a six-figure loss. It's very easy to get upside down. And there's a lot of people who are highly leveraged in it. They've got hard money loans. They have investors breathing down their neck. And fortunately, that's not a situation I've been in, but it's very easy to end up upside down if you don't know what you're doing or you have the wrong person. And that's happened to me where I've had the wrong realtor who gave bad advice on sales price. So we crafted the budget based on what he told us we could get out of it. And he, you know, said he had the comps to back it up and ended up that house sat forever and lost money on it because he was just way off on the price. I mean, it wasn't like a $10,000 difference. It was like a fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 difference from what he said it was worth. And that was also my fault for tri- blindly trusting him. So what advice would you have for someone sort of getting in? Like, what, what are things that they should really learn about to make sure that they don't fall into the, you know, the common mistakes that people make? I think you, first of all, have to have the knowledge on actually working on the houses. If you plan to hire everything out, there goes all your margin. 
but there's lots of great resources out there. The most common way people get involved in flipping is called the Burr method. You buy, uh, rehab, rent, and then resell. And that is a great method because you can pull cash out of the equity of the home, put that towards another property. You've got rental income coming in and then you can resell it. Once you have that rental income, you can actually sell it for more than if it was just a single family home most often. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. What are some other pieces of advice? So obviously you need to be able to, you know, work on the house yourself or have enough knowledge so that you, you're not hiring out and just getting screwed. Cause I've seen people where when they get contracted working on their home, they, they take the day off just to make sure, right? Comes down to knowing the market as well. There's a lot of options out there for people to skip trace numbers and like try and get down to people who might be interested in selling your house. But I've found relationships are the biggest opportunity. I don't go through any of that process to get homes. It's through a realtor network that they bring houses pre-market. They know that they can come to me and they'll get a cash offer and it'll be a quick close. A couple of days saves a lot of hassle. They can leave all their junk in the house that they don't want. I'll get rid of it. Just make it as seamless and as frictionless as possible. Building that network and that those people knowing that they can come to you and can rely on you, that is huge for them because it makes their job a lot easier as well. And then develop the same relationships with wholesalers and things like that. So there's always opportunities and it doesn't require as much work as really digging down, getting the people who might be interested in selling and really pushing that because that's a lot of work. It can be a, a lot of stress. But again, that's not something I do. I let somebody else do that, take a little bit of the commission, and then I go from there. This industry has really changed over time, right? Because obviously there was a time, 06, where it's like, any, every you flip everything, you make so much money, and you came in 2017. So how has the industry sort of changed since you know you came at a different time? What would you say... For someone getting to flipping, like what what should they know? Inventory is again, every market's different, but inventory is definitely makes this more difficult. In 2006, you could pick up a house anywhere for the right amount of money and make money on it with carpet paint. But those days are definitely gone. However, because of everything happening in the world right now, I do think we will get a little bit more towards that because with Everything that's happened, we can realize now that, hey, I can telework. I don't have to live in the city if I don't actually really enjoy the city lifestyle. I can move out to the suburbs. If I'm going to be quarantined again, I want a yard. So I think you'll see definitely a lot of people moving out of cities into the suburbs. I think there is going to be a short window of opportunity where you can just pick up houses and make money on them. But I don't think that window will last for very long. Okay. You went to college, right? And you took classes. Can you tell us about that? Like, what was the motivation behind that? And what made you realize like, hey, this isn't for me? I don't want to throw people under the bus, but uh, it was definitely inspired by mostly my mom who said, you know what, you've got to get a college degree. Everybody in my family has college degrees. My brother collects them like baseball cards. He's got multiple masters, multiple bachelors, multiple associates. Like he just was like, let's just collect them. And he put in the work for him, but 
it's just not something that really interested me. So it's like, all right, well, I've got to get a college degree as a fallback option, you know? And to me, there's no fallback. To me, it's like, this is my path. I don't need a fallback. But if by all conventional wisdom, it's really idiotic that I didn't finish because outside of high school, I had a year's worth of college credits already because you know I did concurrent enrollment through high school. And it's like, oh, this is easy enough. But when you don't have the motivation for it, it's never going to really happen. So I went to the community college to try and pick up some more generals and went there for a while. I only really took classes I was interested in, which didn't really help me progress academically by the traditional standard. Finally, I ended up stumbling upon University of Phoenix. I actually really enjoyed University of Phoenix. I was learning stuff. I was getting good grades, whereas at the community college, I was doing horribly. And, you know, I wasn't getting good grades. I was missing classes. I just didn't have the motivation to go there because I just felt like it was somebody talking at me and not really teaching me. Whereas one benefit to University of Phoenix is that you actually have to be in the field to teach it. So they actually have legitimate people who know what they're talking about. They're not people that went to college to teach something, never had any real world experience with it. I really enjoyed that. And I took my capstone class. Like I've done everything to get a degree except for like three generals. And I've tried so many times, but I just hate class material. Like no matter what I do, I can't get through it because it's just like they're more advanced classes, but they're, you know, on things that just serve no interest to me. And it's like, I don't know why I keep trying to go through this because it's not interesting to me and it's not my path. Yeah. I mean, nothing wrong with that. I mean, thank you for sharing that because it's, it's tough to go through things, especially when you have other things going for you and it's not your passion. So what's the other thing you do? You, you mentioned you do something else other than real estate flipping. The thing that I'm primarily passionate about is helping entrepreneurs because I've realized, you know, over my time, how much I enjoy entrepreneurship. I have a podcast that talks to entrepreneurs and I have realized how beneficial it is to help other entrepreneurs and how much I enjoy that. And so it's like, I want to help entrepreneurs make an impact. With a typical job, it's more difficult to make an impact on a larger community of people. You usually have a specific role in a company and you can make an impact on maybe five or 10 people. Obviously, there's exceptions to that rule. But for me, it was like, I can make the largest impact through entrepreneurship And what better way to do that than to help other entrepreneurs create that impact for other people. So I feel like I'm able to help a larger amount of people by helping entrepreneurs. And so I do that through podcasts. I do that through products. Um, I've got a powdered drink mix that helps you focus. And then I also do that through courses and just reaching out to people, groups, and trying to help wherever I can, create value wherever I can so that If you have an entrepreneurship dream, I'm going to help you get there. What kind of people do you see make good entrepreneurs or what kind of people make bad entrepreneurs? I think the ones that they're going to struggle the most with entrepreneurship is the ones that are in it for the money. I understand money is a byproduct to entrepreneurship and it's glamorous and all this. But if your sole motivation is money, then it's not going to go well for you, honestly, because... When the times get tough and you're not making any money, you're several months into this and you're still not making money. For me, this 
hustle energy brand I've been working on for three years now. And I'm still negative in terms of how much money I put into it versus how much I've gotten out of it. But my passion for it and the, my why behind it is so much stronger than anything else. You could say, I will buy your company right now for, you know, say a million dollars. It's like, no, that's not what I'm in it for. I want to create that impact. Having a why behind what you're doing, why you want to be involved in entrepreneurship, place so much emphasis on that when I talk to other entrepreneurs, because that's what's going to get you through those tough times. That's what's going to help propel you to keep going when the money isn't there. You see so many things, right? It's like, hey, do this. It's lifestyle of jets and boats and cars. And it's like, you know, to even get to that point, you got to do a lot. There's a lot of sacrifice and, you know, a lot of people don't like talking about that. And then it's so easy to sell the dream, but you have to enjoy the process, right? You have to enjoy the journey there. What's your end goal with the Hustle Energy brand? So, like I said, I want to create as much of an impact as I can through entrepreneurship. And honestly, I'd love to eventually turn this more towards the venture capital side where I can help entrepreneurs, not just with money, but with resources to be able to help them launch their idea and really get them off the ground. So it won't just be a, here's a check. I want some money back now and I want with interest. That's not what I'm about, but it's the thing I can most closely relate it to is I want to be able to provide the resources, both financially and otherwise, to businesses or those with ideas and help them create their impact. So if you could talk to your 14-year-old self, what would you tell Trent? Oh, man. Keep going. Don't quit. I kick myself all the time. It's like with, when I was in that position at 14, it's like, I mean, the sky was the limit. It was, I could do anything. I was going to have a Ferrari by 25. I still don't have one. But <laughs> it's not necessarily the end goal anymore. But looking back, it's like, why did I not keep going at this single idea? You know, I jumped into web design now. I mean, yeah, there's lots of tools out there. There's WordPress and all this stuff that make it easier. But if I were to build the back end of a website, I would have no idea where to start. I can look at a PHP page and I can tell you something that's wrong, but I have no idea how to create it from scratch. Whereas if I would have stuck to that career path, it would have been really easy to evolve in those little changes over time. And I could have had a career path that I still would have enjoyed. I mean, every company needs a web presence. So it would have been beneficial to stick with it no matter if I did still have a web design company or not. By sticking with those skills, it would have benefited me and my other companies as well. No, that's important. So cars seem to be a recurring theme in your life. Are you ever going to sort of go back to that? I've tried a couple of times. Uh, One thing I forgot in my in my story there is at one point when I was doing the video production, I was like, you know what? I'm passionate about cars. I'm going to do something with cars. And at the time my wife was pregnant with our first and I decided, you know what? I'm going to make a career out of automotive video production. And there's definitely career paths to take with that. So I ended up traveling for like six months nonstop going to different events, going to different places all throughout uh, Western US and a little bit on the East Coast. But 
you know, I was driving to these events. I was making connections. I was filming videos just nonstop. Again, it was one of those things where if I would have kept going, I probably would have succeeded at it. But shiny object syndrome, plus I had a deadline of, hey, my wife's having a baby. I really need to make some money off of this. And so it ended up getting to the point where it was not going to be feasible in the near future of generating enough income to really provide for my family. So I moved on to, I believe at that point, it was the video production company. And like you said, cars just keep showing back up. I have recently started something just for fun, automotive related. It's like one of those things where it's like, if I never make a dime off it, I don't care. I'm just having fun doing it. It's something I do anyway. But then this whole time I have had an automotive blog that a friend and I have had for the last 10 years that has a podcast associated with it too. He's mostly been the one running it, but it's provided a little income here and there, but nothing significant. So I'm always involved in cars at some point. I don't know if it's going to be the path forward in terms of providing the income, but I'll always be involved in it in some way because that's what I love to do. What made you start the podcast? Which one? How many podcasts do you have right now? I have two automotive-related ones and then uh, The Hustle of the Day, which is entrepreneurship-focused. In general, what made you get into podcasts? I think it was just the ability to talk about something that I'm passionate about and have a platform to do it because... When we first started this automotive podcast, it was forums. Forums were the place where you'd talk about, you know, cars. And they were getting crowded with ads and, you know, people who were bad eggs, for the lack of a better term, you know, they just were, the, they were just trolling. That's all they were doing is they just kind of mess things up and, you know, stir the pot. And so it's like, all right, well, what is a resource that I can do? And, ended up becoming this website and this car blog then it translated into doing the videos for youtube and then it's like well it's still not necessarily satisfying the itch it's like i want to talk about cars because you can get the inflection there that you can't get through text so we ended up doing starting the podcast probably in 2007 but it was on youtube it was a video so that way you could get read the body language and everything did four or five episodes and ended up losing steam with it because my co-host at the time he had a job that wasn't very flexible that allowed him to do that and after a little while it's like let's get back to that let's jump into this podcast again and do an audio format and it's still audio only except for once a month we do face or youtube live rather and then with the entrepreneurship podcast i've been like i mentioned i've been at this for three years and i'm trying to produce this product and it's just been struggle after struggle after struggle trying to get this thing to to production and it was finally like i'm just kind of sick of waiting for this i want to impact people i want to help people what's a way that i can do that and i'm not very as i'm demonstrating right now i'm not very eloquent with words but then i'm also very introverted but it's taken some time to get better at podcasting right if you go back to episode one it's awful but it's gotten better over time i've gotten more comfortable with 
speaking on podcasts and, you know, hosting podcasts that it's been great to create that impact. But during the time of doing it, it was originally meant to create the impact and then also help myself through my entrepreneurship journey. It's like, what can I learn from these other people? And so it kind of had a selfish intention in a way, but it's been able to help other people, which I love. I love being able to hear that, you know, somebody got something out of this and there's people who are it's like, I never would have thought would have gotten anything out of it. But I've had like a, a neighbor the other day who has no entrepreneurial aspects, has no desire to do that. But they're like, I really get something out of this podcast. You know, I love hearing people's messages. And it's just like, awesome. I'm doing something. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're doing a lot of things and you're doing it right. What's your dream car? That's a good question. So I'm, I'm obsessed with cars and the fact that all three of my kids are named after Lotus cars. You know what's funny? The Lotus is the car I want. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I want the Evora, right? That's what I'm going to get. I like the Elise. It's just like, oh, there's, there's, and the there's a Lotus Evora dealership right there. like in a, an hour away from me. And I actually saw one. I saw an orange one like two weeks ago when I went to buy this chair. So, all right, go ahead. So your kids are, what are your kids' names? If you don't mind sharing. Yeah, no worries. Um, Evora is my oldest. Then Elise. Then so I had a boy, which, you know, Lotus doesn't necessarily have a boy type name, but the founder of Lotus Cars is Colin Chapman. So named him Colin after the founder of Lotus Cars. But the ultimate goal, and, you know, I'm very, if you could see my office, you know, I've got cars all over the place to help remind me, but the ultimate goal is a McLaren P1. That is the vehicle that's like, if I could just have, you know, that one vehicle that would be awesome, but you know they're upwards of a million dollars, so it'll, it'll take a little bit of time, but we'll get there. Okay, cool. No, that's that's awesome. One day, so one day we'll we'll drive both of those next to each other because that those are that's also the same cars I want. Let's wrap up. What are your final thoughts on what you want to tell the audience? Obviously, a degree isn't for everybody, and you know I've learned that through throughout my time. But if the degree is not your path forward, then don't ever give up on your dreams. Know your why and keep after it because things will get tough. You will have doubters. You will have people who get in your way, but you've got to keep going. You know, I've met some very high profile individuals in the entrepreneurship space. And the consistent theme is they had a dream and they never gave up on it. And, you know, so there's people who go 10 years and they've made $50,000 total on their business in 10 years, and then they're an overnight success, right? It's just how it appears. But you've got to put in that effort and that time before you become that overnight success. You know, it really comes down to knowing your why and not giving up. Cool. How would the audience get in contact with you? What's the best way to support you, follow you? I'm most active on Instagram and LinkedIn, Trent V. Bray on both of those. And then the website for the Hustle Energy brand is hustletheday.com. That's where most of my stuff is. Cool. So thank you so much for being the guest. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know a lot of people will get value out of this. You enjoyed the holiday weekend and looking forward to keeping in contact, Trent. Yes, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. 
This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing and knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree. No problem, any problem we can solve LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going